0: Hey, it's Elise and Corey here. We're working hard on new episodes of Shakespeare Anyone, and they're coming soon. But in the meantime, we wanted to share with you a preview of a new podcast we're enjoying and think you will too. You're probably used to seeing Shakespeare in your high school English Lit class or on the big stage. But did you know Shakespeare turns up in so many other places? On the new podcast, Where There's a Will, Finding Shakespeare, Barry Edelstein artistic director at one of the country's leading Shakespeare theaters, and co-host, writer and director M. Weinstein, ask, what is it about Shakespeare that's given him a continuous afterlife in all sorts of unexpected ways? You'll hear Shakespeare doing rehabilitative work in a maximum security prison, helping autistic kids to communicate, shaping religious observances in the mouths of U.S. presidents, and even at the center of a deadly riot in New York City. You know we're all about looking at Shakespeare through many different lenses, so we're really excited to share this show with you. In this preview, Barry and M explore one of the Bard's most popular works, Hamlet. Hamlet is everywhere right now, but this probably isn't the play you're used to. We meet the minds behind A Singing Hamlet, The Northman's Amleth, and Pulitzer Prize winner Fat Ham's Juicy and ponder what makes this shakespearean tragedy speak directly to our time. Okay, here's the preview. We hope you enjoyed as much as we did. You can hear the full episode and more from Where There's a Will Finding Shakespeare wherever you get podcasts.
1: Beat. Cinnabit. Kto mi odpowie? Hey, Em. Hey, Barry. You know what that is we're hearing? Um, It sounds like someone very serious speaking in an Eastern European language of some sort. Exactly. And
2: we're also hearing the sound of a busman's holiday. A busman's
1: holiday? Beg your pardon?
2: You know, when you go on vacation and end up doing the same thing
1: you do at work. Sounds like a story's coming.
2: So, I run a Shakespeare theater, right? The Old Globe in San Diego. Now, my wife is in the travel business, and last summer, her company took a group on a riverboat trip down the Danube River. We made that our family's summer vacation. That sounds amazing. It was gorgeous. Vienna, Budapest, all these little Austrian villages, and the scenery on the Danube is, like, breathtaking. One day, we dock in Bratislava, which is the capital of Slovakia. My wife had to work. My kids didn't feel like getting off the boat, so I went wandering around. One of the highlights of this really charming city is a huge medieval castle that's perched on a hill overlooking the whole place. I hiked up and the views are stunning. You see what looks like half of Europe. Nice. And the castle itself is amazing. I went walking around through gardens and big old gates and huge wooden doors. I go down this long corridor, and I turn a corner into some random courtyard, and all of a sudden, I'm facing a little stage with lighting and rows and rows of seats and sound equipment and, like, an army of people milling around, and I realize that somebody's made a theater here. And there's a company of actors rehearsing a play, and so I watch for a while.
1: (laughs) Umriet. Spat. Nietzsche. viats.
2: There's a guy who's the star. He's smoking a cigarette, which everybody in Bratislava is doing, and he's wearing this long black coat. He's intense looking. His eyes are darting around like his soul is on fire. And he walks center stage and he launches into this long speech. And I'm listening, and the penny drops. He's Hamlet. I've left my own Shakespeare theater to get some R&R, and I go halfway around the world, and I wander around some old tourist site, and I end up at a rehearsal of Hamlet.
1: A busman's holiday. Yes. It's like a magnet, Barry. Once Shakespeare is in your soul, you are just drawn to him. You, you find him everywhere. It's like there's no getting away. There needs no ghost come from beyond the grave
2: to tell us this. <laughs>
1: Truly. I'm
2: Barry Edelstein, and I run the Old Globe in San Diego, one of the country's leading Shakespeare theaters. And this is where there's a will, finding Shakespeare, from the Globe and Pushkin Industries. Our show discovers Shakespeare in all sorts of unexpected places and asks what he's doing there and what his presence means about him and about us. My companion on this search for old William is a friend and colleague with
1: their own deep interest in Shakespeare, the writer and director, M. Weinstein. That sounds like it was a great vacation, Barry, the cameo from The Melancholy Dane notwithstanding. He made a cameo in my vacation, but he's been a star everywhere
2: else. It's been the year of Hamlet, M., the Metropolitan Opera in New York premiered a new Hamlet opera. To be,
0: be. high, has the point to talk to sleep. Is that all?
2: The 2022 Pulitzer Prize for Drama went to a play called Fat Ham, which takes the Hamlet story and puts it at a backyard barbecue in the South.
1: I think my uncle had my father killed. Juicy! And now my father wants me to kill my uncle. Juice! Like revenge, bitch? Yeah. Well, what do you gonna do? Well, I ain't never killed nobody. Yeah, I think it's probably mad hard. Exactly.
2: <laughs> and a film called The Northman brought the story that Shakespeare based Hamlet on to multiplexes and streaming services everywhere.
1: The bear Beowulf, son of King Aurevon and Warraven, and I am his major! Whoa, that is intense.
2: Y- you think?
1: <laughs> oh, and there was more. The Stratford Festival in Canada had a major production of Hamlet starring the first black woman to play the part there. And a famous avant-garde director did a Hamlet in London that became a breakout hit and was remounted at the Park Avenue Armory in New York.
2: And the Old Globe, my theater, did a radio version of the play that you could download to listen while you're folding your laundry or going
1: on your morning run. My father's spirit in arms. All is not well. Hamlet's having a moment right now. But Barry, why? That is the question. (laughs) In this moment of Hamlet, or yet another moment of Hamlet, in a string of moments of Hamlet in the last four centuries since the play was written, let me ask you, Barry, what do you think is going on with all this Hamlet?
2: Am, all I have are theories. But I've been lucky because I've been able to talk to some really smart people who have some really thoughtful and provocative things to say on the subject. People like James Imes, the winner of the 2022 Pulitzer Prize for his reimagined Hamlet. Robert Eggers, the visionary filmmaker who's drawing meaning from the myths that informed Shakespeare as he wrote the play, and Matthew Jocelyn, the librettist of the Met's Hamlet Opera. We'll get into my conversations with them after a break. A full disclosure, I did not see the opera at the Metropolitan Opera House. I saw it at 9 a.m. in a multiplex in San Diego, me and 20 other, you know, hearty souls who got up early. You are virtuous beyond words. That's Matthew Jocelyn. The Met Live in HD simulcasts Metropolitan Opera performances to cinemas all over the world, including a really thrilling new opera of Hamlet. Matthew is the
3: librettist. I asked him to explain what that means. It's funny, when I arrived at the Met for this present series of performances, it took a couple of days for me to get my security pass. So I finally went to the head of security and said, I you know, I need to check in every day with all of my certificates. Why don't I have my security pass? And she said, oh, you're Matthew Johnson. You're the libertist. I just don't know what category to put you in. I've never met a libertist before. And I said, that's all right. Most of us are dead. So to explain what is a librettist, we are essentially the book writer. That is, we're the people who write the text and the words that are going to be put to music for an opera. Matthew
2: and composer Brett Dean have reinvented Hamlet, really, with this sweeping and hugely moving score and a collage of a text put together by someone who clearly knows his way around the play. Shakespeare has been frequently brought into the opera house. Famously, Giuseppe Verdi did a bunch of them. Uh, Rossini, Britain, Addis, right? Purcell. What is that
3: about? Why make Shakespeare into an opera? Great opera is inherently theatrical. It's looking for theatrical moments and broad, large theatrical gestures that at the same time contain some kind of broad emotional content, a a sweep with which one can tell a story and grip the emotional fiber of the audience. And Shakespeare was a master of that. He was a master of finding a narrative that had both the dramatic content and the emotional content and the, the intellectual or the thinking content.
1: That music is amazing. And it really gets
2: under your skin. And also, it's really innovative. I'm no music scholar, and I don't really have the language to talk about how music works and what it does. But Brett Dean has composed modern classical music, and you can hear in it the influences of the 20th century. Minimalism, atonality, and like the play, it's also got these passages of romanticism. And he kind of broke the orchestra out of the orchestra pit, didn't he? He placed small satellite orchestras around the huge auditorium of the Met. There was a small percussion section tucked away in a high balcony, and sometimes singers sang there. There were other little installations of instruments kind of hidden away in corners of the theater, so you were surrounded by the score, immersed in it. That is so cool. And on top of that, Dean used this wild combination of found objects to make sound. Plastic water bottles that scrunched and crunched, rusty springs from an old car, and stones banged together. Matthew told me about it.
3: The principle was how do we get inside Hamlet's head? How do we have the experience of something that is all invasive and all pervasive and from which one cannot extricate oneself, and Hamlet cannot extricate himself from his own thoughts. And that's exactly what the orchestra is providing us with as an experience. And in the same way that Brett Dean sort
2: of fractured the orchestra into bits and spread it around the place, Matthew took a kind of kaleidoscopic approach to the text of Hamlet. You reassigned lines from one character to another. You rearranged scenes. So
3: you entered into almost as a co-author with Shakespeare. Is that fair to say? Yeah, he was very generous with his uh, co-authorship, I have to say, because he provided me with the essential material and he made no, put up no obstacles whatsoever to my delving into it. I asked Matthew the big question, why Hamlet? Why now? Yeah, there's a kind of um, prevalence of this unknowable hero this person who seems to experience life in such an intense way experiences loss in such an intense way and love in such an intense way the play is essentially also about this moral battle do i follow my father who's asking me to be untrue to myself who's asking me to become a man of revenge when i'm a man of philosophy who's asking me to become a man of prosaic action when i'm a man of poetry or do i follow my own poetic self and be the lover that i am with ophelia and be the and be the the soul that i am within the world
0: That was a preview of Where There's a Will, Finding Shakespeare, a new podcast from Pushkin Industries. Hear more from Where There's a Will, wherever you get podcasts.